0: Can South Africa's much-vaunted constitution overcome the new Apartheid? In this video, I address this question. Let's get started. (music) The Sisoem of Welsh Experience Podcast. Spread the fire, welcome back to SMWX. If you're new around here, my name is Dr. Sizwe Bofu walsh and on this channel, SMWX, we explore South African politics through interviews and analysis. And I've been doing a series on my recently published book, The New Apartheid, which has become a best-selling book in South Africa since its publication. Thank you very much for the support. And I've been diving deep into the book's various chapters and explaining the argument just to whet your appetite for when, hopefully, you do actually buy the book. And in today's video, I want to take a look at the chapter on law and really pose the question as to whether South Africa's much-glorified constitution is capable of fundamentally transforming South African society towards a more just future, which breaks decisively from patterns of apartheid that have characterised South Africa for decades and colonialism that have characterized South Africa for centuries. So I want to do this in two parts. The first I'll look at the first part of the argument that I make in this chapter about law in this book Um, and that looks really at the conception of justice which is contained in the constitution and I try to take aim at this conception and suggest that it's a narrow conception of justice when in fact we need a much wider and bolder conception in order to confront what I call the new apartheid. And then secondly, I'm going to look at the way that various branches of the law, which harmonize in theory, can often clash in practice, thereby exacerbating what I call the new apartheid, in certain instances and with some qualifications. But before I do that, let me just introduce you to the idea of the new apartheid, very briefly, which is contained in the introduction. And the idea in the book is that apartheid didn't die, it was privatized. And although state power was transferred to a democratic government in 1994 in South Africa, and apartheid was ostensibly abolished, we still find many resemblances between present-day South Africa and its apartheid predecessor continuing to persist in the private realm of South African life And this private realm has taken on such a momentum since 1994 that in fact it has come to engulf influence and affect many areas of life which were traditionally traditionally thought to have been public so the privatization of apartheid also coincided with the privatization of power itself and so power is often exerted by private actors in south africa and private actors are increasingly able to control actors which hitherto were thought to symbolize publicity. And it's really important to state that the objective of this book is, is to disrupt what is received wisdom and received dogma about South Africa, of course. Um, everyone will tell you that the Constitution is supreme in theory Everyone will tell you that South Africa is a democracy which destroyed apartheid in theory. And of course, this book isn't seeking to dispute that theory. It's trying to say that in practice, despite the fact that we have inaugurated a democratic era, and despite the fact that we purport to have a supreme constitution, there are often ways in which private power is able to circumnavigate the constraints which we've placed for it since 1994. And those constraints include the Constitution. And so I take a deep dive into the Constitution. And really, my aim is not to bash the Constitution. And this is an important caveat. It's not to suggest that the Constitution uh, is is somehow inherently evil. It's really to try and take um, an optimistically cynical approach. To say that we may not have conceived of the most perfect form of justice yet, we may not have constituted South Africa in the most perfectly just way yet, and unless we lift our sights and aim to critique the constitution in order to renovate it and improve it and expand our conception of justice, then we will forever be caught in the same spirals as we have been caught over the last three decades. And one more caveat is just that I'm taking aim particularly at the text of the Constitution, especially in the first part of this chapter, not the judiciary, not the constitutional court. By and large, I think these have been really important institutions which have been filled with uh, venerable South Africans. Um, But I'm really trying to take aim at our conception of justice and our assumptions about the supremacy of the Constitution and the idea that that constitutional supremacy is capable, in most instances, of arresting the momentum of private power. So let's get into the first part. The and Mbofu Walsh Experience. SMWX. Right, so in the first part of this chapter on law, in the New Apartheid, What I do is I take issue with the way that the Constitution conceives of justice. And I just want to read from the argument um, so that you can get a flavour for exactly how it is that I I, I go about this. But of course, read the book if you want to get all the nuances, all the qualifications and read the references and see the argument in full because I can only be telegraphic in a video of this nature. But what I say is that really where we find the conception of justice and rest assured everything I say in this book is designed to conflict with what you learn at you know undergraduate law school or or what you've been told about the constitution. Um, So I'm well aware of what uh, people think the constitution does but I'm trying to contest that received wisdom and What I do is take aim at the way that justice is conceived in the early parts of the Constitution, especially the preamble, because this is where we find really the heart of the Constitution from the perspective of the values that it attempts to enshrine. And particularly, I do a very close reading of the way that the Constitution frames the question of justice. And let me just read a a few sections from the book to show how I try to challenge this conception. So what I say is that justice is relatively absent, and this is on page 59, from the South African Constitution. True, the word appears on nearly half of the Constitution's pages, but these mentions owe mainly to the narrow definition, which pertains to legal procedures, as in, quote, the administration of justice, or even to narrower references to the Chief Justice in Chapter 8, for example. In fact, the Constitution mentions justice as a principle only thrice, all in the preamble, whereas constant reference is made to the trinity of dignity, equality and freedom throughout the Bill of Rights. Indeed, a separate clause is dedicated to defining equality. So the first point that I tried to develop is that the very notion of justice as a principle is conspicuously absent from the preamble. And this has consequences for the way that injustice perpetuates in South Africa and has perpetuated even since 1996 uh, when the Constitution was adopted. I then say even these preambular references to justice are limited. The first mention of justice merely recognizes the injustices of our past. To recognize injustice is but one step in creating justice. Mere recognition of past injustice is not justice. The second mention of justice in the preamble arrives in the phrase, we the people honor those who fought for justice. Again, this is important, but honoring those who fought for justice in the past does not guarantee justice in the future. Recognizing the past and honoring past fighters frame justice as a backward looking exercise. Incidentally, legal scholar Professor Tsepo Maitlingozi also makes a similar argument in which he uh, suggests that the Constitution lacks a bifocal conception of justice and what this means when he says bifocal, essentially looking in two directions, is that if you want to conceive of justice fully for South Africa, not only do you need to look backwards and look at the injustices of the past and recognize those, but you need to espouse a forward-looking conception of justice in the future, and you need to do both of those two things simultaneously. Merely looking backwards, as I also contend here, frames justice as a purely backward-looking exercise and it raises an infinity of troubles, um, as I suspect we've seen in democratic South Africa. The third and final mention of justice, and I'm reading again, in the preamble is the only substantive future-oriented one. We are told that the Constitution is adopted to, quote, heal the divisions of the past and establish a society based on democratic values, social justice, and fundamental human rights. This clause creates three problems. Social justice seems to narrow the scope of justice. Is social justice a particular species of justice? Applicable to the social realm? Is it also political and economic? The phrase suffers from an internal confusion. Justice is, by definition, social. Since the clause already refers to society, it seems tautological to again refer to social justice. Why not simply justice? The inclusion of the qualifying term social denudes justice of its far-reaching connotations. It frames justice, in terms of charity or private conscience rather than reparation or redistribution. And what I do in the book is also historicize this compromise where justice is framed as an act of charity largely by negotiators on the apartheid side and this forms part of their blueprint for future South Africa. And of course we also need to understand the constitution much less as this miracle, which we continuously um, are, are fed, but rather as the process of a political set of compromises, some compromises progressive and other compromises not so progressive. So that's just a little taste for how I contest the constitution's conception of justice. I then do a bit of comparative constitutional work and look at other preambles to other constitutions in other jurisdictions and show how their conceptions of justice go much further than South Africa's. And also uh, I show that in many ways the vagueness of South Africa's conception of of justice, where it does occur in in the small number of places where the Constitution does try to develop a notion of justice, the vagueness exceeds even the usual vagueness of any typical legal text. comment down below let me know um, what you think of the argument. I know it's uh, heretical and so I keep having to qualify that my intention is not to you know uh, rain on anyone's constitutional parade um, but I think it's distinctly unoriginal to simply parrot the miraculous narrative of the constitution just because one's taught that at a law school, or um, by the framers of the Constitution themselves. And I think it's particularly important for a new generation of South Africans to question the validity and the wisdom of maintaining the Constitution in its current form. When constitutional renovation the world over, as I say in the conclusion of the book, which is for another video, is par for the course, regular and Nothing to be feared. So let's get on to the second part. The Sizwe Mbofu Walsh Experience, SMWXX. So in the second part of this book, I address what former Deputy Chief Justice Dehang Moseneke calls the vexed interface between private law and public law. Now, in a nutshell, and bear in mind, One can write books on these distinctions, but the distinctions are not really central to my argument. But let me just briefly uh, recap the distinction between private law and public law, because the vexed interface is where these two forms of law meet. So in a nutshell, public law is about the relationship between the state and citizens. You can think of it as a vertical relationship. The state is invested with power and it has a certain relation with citizens who are subject to that power and citizens have a certain relation with the state and public law in a nutshell is about those relationships whereas private law on the other hand is about legal congress between citizens or between individuals or technically between what lawyers call legal persons so this is not about an individual's relationship with the state or some higher authority, it's rather about the relationships of equality which exist between, often, between um, people. So it deals with legal Congress um, between different individuals rather than between individuals in the state and the state and in individuals. So that's how you can uh, get a brief overview of that idea and you'll soon see that Since my book is about the way that apartheid has become privatized, the sphere of private law becomes an important venue on which to understand the way that private power has reconsolidated since 1994. And what I do, again, is quite subversive. Uh, And what I say is, look, once again, I know if you're an undergraduate law student, you'll be taught that, well, the constitution is supreme. So whatever happens in the private realm has to be regulated by, you know, constitutional precepts. And so even if there are areas where, you know, the private realm uh, frustrates constitutional intentions, ultimately the constitution triumphs and everyone lives happily ever after. What I'm trying to do in this part of the chapter is not suggest that the Constitution is not supreme. Um, That would be silly. The Constitution, to be sure, is supreme in legal theory. And anyone who goes to the Constitutional Court will obviously know that uh, the Constitution is taken to be supreme in, in many of its, in all of its cases, but you'll often hear the invocation of the supremacy of the Constitution. All well and good. My contention is that in certain areas, in practice, the momentum of private legal interactions is actually capable of frustrating constitutional aims, even if the constitution is theoretically supreme. It's a nuanced argument, one that I think um, it's actually quite easy to miss and you might just think, oh, well, that's a silly thing to say the Constitution is supreme. So how can you say private law can frustrate the Constitution? Well, things that seem very certain to loyally minds are not as certain as they seem in the realm of practical political reality. And that's the realm that I investigate in the book. So I really tried to show that in the realm of private legal Congress, this is in the, in the law of contract. This is in places where people establish private obligations between, between themselves. There is at least a chance for apartheid power relations to be sustained because of the inherent political and social power imbalances that underwrite people's contractual congress with each other and even though the constitution is supposed to supervene over those areas of private legal congress what we see is that in practice and again not in theory but in practice the constitution is often unable to touch uh, the way that people interact in private legal congress and In the book, I go through a number of cases, areas, and illustrations of the way that private law can sometimes frustrate constitutional ambitions. At the very least, it's something that we should be very careful of not entrenching, and which I believe the Constitutional Court should be a lot more aggressive in entrenching. Um, I go through various cases which deal with the idea of freedom of contract, this is the idea that parties should come to contractual uh, agreement freely, even if those contractual agreements uh, contain clauses that might seem um, against, against what we would consider usual acts of morality. Um, and there are ways that these contracts can be constrained, uh, both in the law of contract Um, you know you can't enter into a contract if if uh, you know you do so under duress or uh, that there's a certain element of fraud within the contract and of course there's also supposed to be a constitutional check which is that if you enter into a contract and it's clearly against public policy or it contravenes um, what society regards as good morals then you may not actually uh, be bound by that contract in theory but in practice there are hundreds of millions of, of contracts in operation at any one time in South Africa and the idea that the constitutional court or any court is 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 always going to have sight of those contracts and be able to regulate them in practice is far-fetched and, and really lunacy when you think of it so which, which which one really bears on people's lives the most? Uh, constitutional declarations and a handful of constitutional cases? Or the hundreds of millions of contracts which draw from uh, power relations already existing in society which actually perpetuate and, and are in force all across the country or at least are supposed to be enforced? So, This is a vast area of of debate in South African law. Also, um, I look at the inheritances of law. um, When we look at the fact that law is so much based on bringing the past into the present, on thinking through what makes and what sets a precedent from the past. And obviously the fact that our past was so skewed means that many of the precedents that we bring into the present whether those are through judicial precedents, whether those are are through past forms of legislation, whether those are are through what's called the common law. Or even if we just look at legal customs like legal dress, the design of courtrooms, uh, the particular forms of language that are used in legal Congress, we see that there are a raft of legal inheritances which we have been bequeathed in the present, which themselves are not abstract free floating ideas of freedom and fairness, but are embedded in the power relations from which they are birthed. And so in a nutshell, what I try to do in the second part of the chapter is then say we've got this vexed interface, we've got these legal inheritances. To what extent can we say that South Africa has rid itself of all forms of apartheid power when the realm of private law is quite hard to penetrate even with Uh, our constitutional theory and when we have vast uh, obvious spoken and unspoken legal inheritances. And so what I'm trying to do from a non-lawyer's perspective, uh, I might add, is social critique of constitutionalism as a paradigm. And I think this is extremely important because all too often and here I conclude. Debates about South Africa's constitution have been dominated by lawyers and by often very technical legal language and so citizens but even scholars from outside um, the legal fraternity and sorority are, are scared to, to jump into this debate because you know loyal, lawyers will throw technical terms at, at you. But I think technical legal language and the certainties which are received by the legal tradition contain within them very questionable philosophical assumptions and the certainty which with which uh, lawyers often talk about the Constitution needs to be contested by a critical generation of scholars, whether inside or outside the legal academy, who bring philosophical scrutiny to bear on some of the technical legal concepts uh, which lawyers simply assume are true. And so there's a long tradition of critique of the law from outside the law by critical scholars. um, That's outside South Africa, but also within South Africa. And that's a tradition on which I tried to draw in this book. Um, I must say it's excited a lot of debate. Uh, the most favourite uh, comment and set of reviews of mine has come from former uh, Justice of the Constitutional Court, um, Justice Johann Krichler, who wrote a long review in Afrikaans um, in Rapport, which which was a real interesting engagement with with the ideas in the book. Um, but I know it's excited much debate in, in legal circles. And what I will say is that even, even watching this video um, is, is, is not a way of doing justice to my chapter. Um, do read the book and then enter the debate because I think that uh, what I try to do in the book is, is deep. It's based on a lot of research and I would have to do like a four-hour video to to capture all the nuances Um, and so I wouldn't want to be misunderstood um, in people thinking that this video is is what the real argument is and in fact the real arguments contained in the book but this brief video was just an introduction to some of the arguments that I make in the new apartheid thank you for supporting this book thank you for making it one of the best-selling books in in South Africa and if you want to buy a copy of the book in South Africa, there's a link down below where you can get a signed copy delivered right to your door. And look at the other videos about this book. Um, I've made videos about other chapters, which you can find on my channel and also a playlist called The New Apartheid. Like, share, subscribe, comment on social media, tag me. And see you on the next one. Aye, hear you the Seasway for Welsh Walsh Experience Podcast. cost. Ah, yeah, yeah. ah, yeah, yeah.